0: When my assistants are first hired, I make them sit in the parent chair in between patients. And I said, here's their perspective. What do you see differently from this side of the chair than when you were sitting over here? Can you see that cotton roll that we couldn't see where we were? Can you see dirt under the chair? Because if you're a parent and you're sitting there and you're going, oh, there's a bloody cotton roll under there. It's not that we didn't clean the chair. We did. We just didn't see that. Right. It's not in our vision. Right. And they're going to go, oh, if they treat that, I wonder if they clean their instruments or do they wash their hands between patients. Mm-hmm. So the little things really make a difference. And that's really how we've grown. I can't say it's been purposeful, like we're gonna do this, 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 but I think if you just say, I want to be a client or a patient in that business, and how would I make my own experience better? You have that mindset in the business that you're in, you really should flourish.
1: Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Dr. Mark Edelberg, founding and senior partner of Edelberg Montalvoin Pediatric Dental. Dr. Mark, when not seeing patients, acts as the CEO and visionary for the team. He and his team are adopters of EOS, the Entrepreneur's Operating System, and credit a great deal of their growth to its principles. Dr. Mark has been delivering outstanding pediatric dentistry since 1998 and is a board-certified pediatric dentist. He received his undergraduate education from the University of Albany, majoring in psychology, and his dental education from the University of Buffalo. He completed a two-year residency in pediatric dentistry at Montefiore Medical Center, the hospital for the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Dr. Mark has also been trained and certified with Vivos Therapeutics, an integrated medical and dental sleep Disordered breathing center. And he has also been trained on both the Hoya Con Bio and biolace dental lasers, as well as PBM lasers. He has trained at the Academy for Sports Dentistry as well. Dr. Mark can also be seen on the lecture scene. Nationally, he has lectured at the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry, AAPD, the Dental Entrepreneurial Organization, DEO, and the Association of Dental Support Organizations, the ADSO. Locally, he has also lectured to residents at pediatric dental residencies, as well as mommy and me groups, preschools, nursery schools, kindergarten, and prenatal hospital groups. Listen in for some great takeaways about Dr. Mark's journey as a dentist and an entrepreneur and a visionary. Well, hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the awesome pleasure of being with Dr. Mark Edelberg, the founding and senior partner of Edelberg Montalván Pediatric Dental. Thanks for joining us today, Mark. Hey, Larry. Thanks for having
0: me. You almost make me sound important. I like the way uh, I feel like I'm on a game show. Thanks for for taking it like that. All of our
1: guests are important, (laughs) Mark. Come on, please. So listen, I want to start out. I know a lot about you, obviously, and I want to give our listeners an opportunity to know about you. So can you give our listeners a little bit about your path, who Dr. Mark Adelberg is, and how you got to where you are today? Well, that's a loaded question
0: because, you know, I always tell people, Pediatric dentist is what I do, but that's not exactly who I am. I mean, I certainly pride myself on, on, on being a good husband, a good son, a good father. But but I guess for the, for the purposes of the podcast, you're probably more interested in, in the business mindset and, and, and where that came about. So I started my journey in pediatric dentistry all the way back in, in 1998. I finished dental school in 96, but, but started in 92 and was even a, like what I called an assistant to an assistant, which we would call floaters, uh, even in, back in my high school days. I've been, uh, you know, tinkering and trying to help people smiles for over 30 years now. When I came out of my program, uh, Montefiore Einstein in the, in the boogie down Bronx, <laughs> I joined two practices, but it wasn't your traditional, hey, I'm going to be an associate in a pediatric dental group. I was an independent contractor in one where I was working out of the back of a general dental practice and another one where I was a partner. I'll say partner by name because the reality is. There were two other groups who were partnering up with me in there. One was the general dentist who owned the building and the practice. And then there was a group that had started to create what we would probably now call a DSO, a dental service organization. But that back then, they didn't really have that name. But they were ahead of their time in buying and selling practices. And I will say, technically speaking, growing their pedi- growing any dentist, it didn't have to be pediatrics into a larger business entity. Where they failed in my mind, where I left them, they were really just buying and selling practices completely based on a financial transaction. How do we buy a practice on the cheap? How do we inflate the numbers of that practice? Not artificially, I mean, genuinely. And then how does that dentist then buy themselves out of a program? I often refer to that program as like an indentured servant, where I literally had an eight-year contract with them, and years six and seven, we take the average of the years and give me a 20% discount, and then I would buy back the remaining two-thirds. But when I was there for approximately like two years, I started recognizing that that was not really what I wanted in a practice. Their core values and my core values didn't match. Now, I didn't know what core values meant. I would just say to people who don't study those sort of concepts, there was something in my gut that told me this was not the right practice for me. These guys were not really interested in patient care. They were really more interested about dollars and cents and and they were a number. And as a pediatric dentist, I realized that I needed to make a real positive impact in children's lives forever. And you can't do that. If they're just a number, you want to understand a patient, get into their mindset. Cause really being a pediatric dentist, you're like the the psychiatrist of, 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 dentistry. Sure. You're working with a population that could potentially be really nervous and you want to make them happy, you want them to really want to go to the dentist forever. I mean, when you look at the statistics around the country, 50% of the United States population does not go to the dentist for routine dental care. Doesn't mean 50% don't go, but they don't go for routine care. So a lot go for emergency. So you can imagine if if majority of the time you ever went to a dentist was because you were in pain, you're probably going to be fearful. So I know a lot of your listeners are probably like, yo, they're shaking their heads. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't like my dentist. And it should never be the case. Right. I mean, and so I wanted to have a relationship with these patients, and that wasn't happening there. And I also wanted to have a relationship with the team that was working with me. Now back then I probably would have called them staff, but now I don't I don't look at anybody who works with me as staff. I mean, because they work with me. Right. They some might say, well, they work for me, but I dentistry is really interesting because at least for me, I'm still in the trenches. So my assistant is working with me to get us through that, that patient. They're
1: you know, working they're, for the patient. It's they're no different than what we do here. We're working for the clients we serve. Exactly.
0: Right? And so my assistants, my floaters, my hygienists, my front desk team, my admin team behind the scenes, my partners. I mean, we're all working for the same goal, which really is now we wanted to become, you know, the premier pediatric dental program in all of Long Island that's going to really positively impact the child's life forever. And that is really, we have that. That's our mission statement. And we, we dream it. We believe it. Even when you answer the phone in, in our practices, you know, you hear, hi, you know, this is Lori. How can I make you smile? And that's really important. We, we measure our success with, did we make you smile and making you smile? You that can be literal or figuratively. Like, right. did you walk out smiling? Like this was a great experience right. or did we literally make your smile? Did we right. correct your teeth? Did we straighten your teeth? Did you need implants? It wasn't whatever the case might be. But I think when you have that mindset, you know, exactly what everybody in the office is moving towards the same goal, the same mindset, then that's a recipe for success.
1: Yeah, I I think that's great. And we're going to unpack some of that as we go along, because I think it's important. And a lot of our listeners are really into and understand that whole core value team approach delighting the client or delighting you, you know the families that you serve it's it's very important. Before we jump into that I've heard the story about the naming of your practice right and I think it's a great lesson about how you can make something work right because sometimes we all have our different visions and ideas and getting people on the same page and I thought that story was a great indication of how you can kind of take a situation and make it work. Can you share that story with our listeners? I can share that story. So as I mentioned earlier before, I was
0: involved with, you know, two practices and now we're going back in time. So some of your listeners probably don't even know a world without the Internet. Right. But I do. Right. right. (laughs) We do. do, uh, But but back then, you know, if you listed your practice on something, it wasn't on Google or Yahoo or even going back, you know, InfoSeek or any of these other groups. It was, you were in the Yellow Pages. Right. And they had local Yellow Pages and regular Yellow Pages. And everybody, um, even though I'm technically Dr. Adelberg, everybody knows me as Dr. Mark. So when it was time for me to go out on my own and leave, nobody really knew how to look up Dr. Adelberg because it was Dr. Mark. And, right. and, and again, what people don't realize is you would call 411. Hi, this is AT&T. <laughs> how, can, you know, how can I help you? Like, oh, I'm, you can't say, I'm looking for a Dr. Mark who's a pediatric dentist somewhere on Long Island. And based on my contractual obligations, I had a non-compete, a restrictive covenant, et cetera. So, you know, I just sat down with some friends. I said, I, when I'm creating my next practice and I move on, you know, what should it be? And based upon this story, it was like, nobody really knew my name. And so I branded it as Adelberg Pediatric Dental. I mean, really nothing mind-blowing, but it was a way that I kind of thought in the future, if anything should ever go down, people would know how to look me up. Right. So it's funny. Now we have, you know, probably between our locations, over 15,000 active patients. There are people I've never seen before. They see my partners and that's fine. I mean, we want to develop a relationship that anybody in our practice could see anybody and anybody would want to see anybody in our practice. And every once in a while, I'll meet somebody who's been in the practice for like, let's say, 10 years. And they just happen to be on a day that I'm there and I go and I do their checkup after the hygienist cleanup. I say, hey, nice to meet you. Mark Edelberg. And they are be like, oh, you're the Edelberg of Edelberg, Montelan. I'm like, yeah, you know, but you know, it, it sounds fun and, and sexy, but that's really how it came out. It was, it's kind of like desire and desperation to go, oh God, I need people to know like who we are. And now it's become branded as such, which, right. and we've talked over the years. I have, I have a number of partners. It's more than just Edelberg and Montelan, but it's kind of like, do we change our name? And I know there are big organizations around Long Island who, and hospitals and so forth that have changed their name. And I still always refer to you know LIJ as LIJ they're right. you know to me they're not Northwell right. although I respect Northwell I really do but it's like oh are you guys oh you guys go to LIJ for surgery cuz right. that's what it is but yeah. you
1: know it's amazing how those names stick and they stay you know You're forever right. etched in our minds and one thing I know about you is like my family you have a uh, little bit of a love for Disney I know that's something you've gone to their runs and their marathons and spend a lot of time down there and I know Disney has had an impact on some of the things and some of the ways that we work here as an organization and deliver experience, client experience to our families that we serve. How has your love of Disney impacted or shaped your practice? Is there an imprint there for you?
0: Oh, I mean, for sure. I joke with people, my grandparents moved from Far Rockaway down to Orlando in 1973. And I was born in 1970. So I, three years old, I'm here. I am. I'm going to Disney World every summer. Now, there are plenty of people who've never been to Disney World. That's not something that I can relate to as a young child. I can relate to it now. I understand why it's, you know, it's obviously not the cheapest uh, vacation out there, but I always went and my parents are big Disney junkies as well. So yes, we went on a lot of vacations when we were younger, but they were always to the same place. And it was easy because I could stay with my grandparents and get the day passed at Disney and so forth. I guess I recognized at a really young age, the customer experience that Disney provided was really second to none. And when I was coming out of my programs and I would look at, you know, the average dentist makes X amount of money or the average dentist sees X amount of patients or has X amount of offices, chairs, locations, however you want to measure that, whatever your, right. your KPI is, right? Key performance indicator for for people like what's the KPI. I said, what's average? We're not going to be average. We have to be above average. <laughs> right, right. Who wants to be average? Right. And so even for people, new people who join our team and we, when we onboard them, we, we talk about the customer relationship. Now, I don't just use Disney as an example. I have videos from people who have been through the Marriott, through been Ritz-Carlton, Ritz-Carlton and, uh, and Four Seasons, one. Nordstrom's. I mean, the Nordstrom way was one of my favorite books that I ever read. And when you start kind of seeing, oh, this is what the customer experience is supposed to be about. It really should change the way you're doing things now. But I will also say this. That has to be your vision for your location or whatever business you're doing. I know plenty of people who their version of their customer experience is it's affordable, right? So I, again, who's been more successful? I mean, the Ritz Carlton versus Motel 6, they both have good business models, okay? Who's been more successful? You know, Nordstrom's versus Walmart. They're both successful, sure, but they know exactly what they want to do. I, I would just say this though. Whatever it is that you're going to do, stick to that model. Because if your patient or your experience, your patient avatar, which we call it, is about price point, then that's what you're going to make it. So right. you might walk into a certain hotel or a certain chain and go, you know, nobody really is here helping me. But then again, the, the toaster oven is only $25. Right. Whereas I'm going to walk to another place and that toaster oven is $100. But that guy's going to take me through every little nuance, every little feature and you'll feel good about the experience. And I think for most people, really, it should come down to the value of the dollar or the experience that you've had. So most people are willing to pay extra for something if they felt they received extra for it. But if you're charging somebody a lot of money for something and it doesn't meet those expectations, is a term we like to use, expectations unfulfilled lead to disappointment. Right. And so if you have high expectations, and I think that our patients do, you better deliver on those mm-hmm. expectations.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they say that everything's expensive in the absence of value, right? If you have the value, then it's not expensive. And right. Sometimes those cheaper alternatives don't work out the way you expect. And then they have to come hire somebody who's more expensive to help even fix those problems, which ends up being even more expensive. But I, I agree with you. I think there's a place for everybody. And it's just knowing what your client, as you said, client avatar is and who you're trying to attract and who you're trying to serve, and catering to them, and doing what they expect. And not only what they expect, but going even the next two or three rungs up the ladder and doing even that much more for them. Correct. And that's how you make happy families. I'll tell you what's fascinating, though, to me, is it's incredibly
0: difficult to capture everyone. Mm-hmm. There are companies out there that I think have figured it out. I look at like Target, or Target, if you want to be right. on that side of the aisle. And I'm like, wow, that's really amazing. I feel like everybody wants to shop there. They figured out something that they can attract. If you're on the lower income to the higher income, they will attract everything. And they don't really lose the business or the person avatar in that. But I think when you become really specialized in what you're doing, you just should own that particular part of the business world.
1: 100%, 100%. Now, one of the things you alluded to and you said earlier where you, you talked about core values, right? And you said at the time, you didn't even realize what core values were at that, in that moment. So when did you learn and, and uncover core values and kind of the importance to you? Oh, sure. So probably
0: about four years into my career, which I had already left one of those two early practices, you know, I was, I was trying to develop my own mindset, my own practice. And I had a young associate who had joined me and I knew her because she was a resident while I was still in attending. So you can imagine when I go back in the early days, just because I started to practice out from scratch doesn't mean I was working full time there. I mean, right. you have to have enough patience to pull that off. So I was still working at Montefiore as an attending and I had an amazing resident. And in my brain, Hey, we're about the same age. We both, you know, we're born in Queens. We learned how to do root canals, caps, fillings the same way. We know the same people in in the dental world. She wants to work for with us. Let's make it happen. And within like about two years, that relationship fell apart pretty quickly. Now I'll tell you that we're still very friendly today, but during that dark time, it was really rough. And I had a good friend of mine who had referred me to uh, a gentleman named by Mark Cooper, who has been my coach now for over 20 years. And he is a retired periodontist. So those are the gum doctors, for those who don't know that. And he realized his niche in life was to help coach people. And so he started pointing out to me why my thought process as to what should happen in a a relationship wasn't working and why. And he introduced me to core values. And it's funny because as we go through the core values, and we have a number of in our practice, the number one core value on my list will always be, and it's in not only my business but in my relationships as well, is integrity. And so what I started to really realize when I look back at the two practices I was in, it wasn't that they were doing bad dentistry or they were bad people. Our integrity did not match. And that was the main reason I had to get out. And that's what we talk about. Like they are all about numbers, but I was all about relationships and they were all about like, you know, get them in, get them out. And if we had a really somebody was really good in our team, they would move them into the next location. I'm like, but what about the people that we're serving in in our location? You just move them out and you bring the next person. It, it didn't make sense to me, but now it does because they lacked the integrity that I saw and I had to change that. And so that was my number one core value. And so in my, my partner, who's the Montalvon of Adelberg, and I have a few other partners, but when we were bringing her on, that was a big component. Do we share the same core values? And that right. was paramount at that time. Alignment. Yes. It's important. But alignment, I, I got to tell you, I, I don't know what, what people think about when they think alignment. Again, I thought about it incorrectly back then. It was, we share a lot of things in common and we do things the same way, so we're aligned. That is not alignment. Right. And I tell people out there, my partner, Montalvan, my original partner, when you compare and contrast us, if I said to you, hey, one's male, one's female. One's Jewish, one's Roman Catholic. One was born and raised in New York. One was born in Costa Rica, raised in, or actually was born in Nicaragua, she'll get a (laughs) man. And then raised in Miami.
1: Well, those are traits.
0: right? Right? But I think to... I don't want to say, I don't want to make it like the average listener, but they might be like, oh, like, you know, I really like this guy because, you know, we both played lacrosse together and we both went to, you know, like that's, there may be something there that you can chat about, but it doesn't mean you're going to become good business partners. Mm-hmm. And a lot of business partnerships and associateships break up because they didn't really do the deep dive to say, hey, what do we share as core values? So Montavon, who is Erica and myself, you know, we sat down and we came a list with each other, expectations, concerns, what we think core values should be of the practice. And once we realized there was really good alignment, now we really knew that we were aligned. It was like, great, now we can launch. Right. All right. But the second thing I would bring to that, because it's not just about core values, and that's the, the kind of the epiphany I've had in the last 10 years. It also really matters that you have the same vision as to where you want to take your business. Now, here's the thing that I've talked about on the big stage of some of these conferences. You can have two people with almost identical core values but have very different visions to how they want those core values to unfold. And that is going to cause a breakdown. And if I said to you, without becoming uber political, if you took people who are in our government on the left and people on government on the right, and you didn't know their names and just say, list their core values, not their vision for how the country is supposed to be run. They're going to be pretty similar. You'd be like, there's no way. But they are right. because they they both want what's best for the country. They both, you know, and they'll they'll list things like that, but they're not telling us how they're going to get from point A to point B. So you could sit down with it like people might listen. All right, I'm going to sit on my business part. We're going to go over our core Hey, we're a real line. Like, right. Let's buy this building together. Let's invest together. I would say like, you know, well, what do you want to do in the future? What's your immediate plans? Which one? 10 year plans going out. What type of people do you want to attract? How do you want your business plan to model? Do you, do you want to take out money? Do you want to take out money? Are you, what's your risk aversion? Like there are things you're going to have to go into that don't actually come out in core values. They come out after that.
1: Agreed, agreed. And if you have two very different visions, that is a is a roadblock. I think the thing where core values come into play is the hope is if you are aligned at least on that level, a lot of the other things you could potentially work out. Correct. You have a greater propensity to work those out than if you didn't go through that core value exercise to begin with. But if you're in a position where you're in growth mode and you want to grow the practice significantly over the next 10 years, and they're in complacency mode where they're happy with the practice the way it is, then there's a tremendous misalignment there. And there's going to be some butting of heads, even though the underlying core values are there.
0: Correct. So So core values it really matters. But the vision of what's going to unfold after that also matters. And I will tell you, I don't, how this translates to other parts of business, people can use their imagination. But when I was starting out, I wanted partners in my practice. I did not want investors. Right. I wanted people who were invested. Agreed. Okay. And so when I sat down with the people who are now my partners in the practice, very early on in the interview process, not even when they were working for me originally, like we were in the interview process, I would say to them, Do you want to become a partner in the practice or are you just looking for a job? Mm -hmm. And either answer is fine, but at least I know now how I'm going to start moving through that, that process. And the example I give to people is imagine you're out on your first date, okay? And with whoever's sitting across the table from you, okay? And you say to that person, hey, do you ever want to have children? Now that person across the way might look at you like with you, right? No, no, no. I'm not really asking if you want to have kids with me. I think we're on our first date. It's a little premature to know if we're going to get married and have kids. But like for me, at least when I was growing up, I knew that one of the things that I wanted to do later in life was become a father. And my three children are are the greatest gifts that's ever been given to me. Thank you to my wife. (laughs) What if the person across the table said, oh, no, I don't ever want to have children. I want to travel the world. I want to be independent. Right. What's the point of going on date number two? not going to work. Why? Because you're attracted to each other? You might... It doesn't matter because what are you going to convince that person that then now they should have children? Right. And I think we all know people in our life who maybe you know that's kind of like that old line. Well, if you have an extra kid, it'll like improve your marriage. It doesn't. Right. Okay, not if they never wanted to have kids <laughs> to begin <laughs> no with, way, right? No. And I think you can use that analogy in business as well. So you find a business partner, you guys buy in together. The, you know the business is going really well, and then all of a sudden you're like, hey, we're going to expand or we're going to franchise, and they go, I never wanted to do that. Right? What do you mean? Look, we have a great <laughs> yeah. business model. We yeah. can make a lot of money doing this. So, like. What do you mean? Like, I'm really happy, like working in our small town, doing our thing. I love being the big fish in the small pond. It works for me. And the other partners go, no, no, no. I want to be the biggest fish in the biggest pond ever.
1: Something's going to go very wrong. Not going to work. Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, I do the same thing here. We do it here. When we bring in uh, new potential stakeholders or team members for the firm, you know, if they're applying for a role, I proactively ask them. Are you looking to be the best at this particular role for the rest of your career, or are you looking to be and have advancements to other roles within the organization? And there's no right or wrong answer. Some people, hey, if they want to be a client service person, they could be the best client service person for the rest of their career. If they get energized and they're operating their unique abilities every single day in that method, then that's great. If they have the propensity, I want to know so we could help develop them and move them Up the ladder, so to speak, of where they want to be. So, you know, it's very upfront and we know what their expectations are because I I think we're seeing that now. A lot of people are reevaluating their career choices, where they are, if they're progressing and they feel stale or whatever. We're seeing that now as, uh, you know, in the workforce, I think very uh, heavily. Right. And
0: what, you know, and it's funny, a lot of people will say, oh, the way employment's going right now, this is terrible. And, all this massive, you know, shift from, um, I don't want to work here, I don't work there. You know, and, and if that's your mindset, you're probably going to like wallow and you're like, oh, I right. can't get anybody to work for me. What do you just accept that as a challenge? You know, sure. where am I going to find these people? So it's interesting, you know, we would always look for certain type of people to come in and work with us. And we saw some people leave in, in recent years, which really never happens. And some of them went to say work for, you know, Northwell. And, you know, how can I compete on some levels with somebody who's been working for me? You know, it's seven o'clock at night and working every other Saturday. Where they can go work at Northwell, they can they work less hours, they do less work, they're getting better benefits because they're a pool of thousands of people. Only. Right, you know, and I so I said to my practice manager, let's kind of do a shift here. You know, let's look for the people who maybe are working in some local restaurants or some local food chains. And we we just hired somebody who was the manager at a Cold Stone Creamery. I happen to love their ice cream. I love the right, concept yeah, of mixing yeah. it right. But when we met her, she was like, "I'm just the manager in the local place. like there's really no room for growth here. I want to flex my muscles. Sure. I am bored. Great. though let's start looking at those people. And, I, yes. and so everybody in our in our group knows it's like when you walk into a restaurant and the the greeter is like amazing and bubbly, hey, you know have coach you him. Have you thought about doing something else? Yes. <laughs> Would you ever really want to make an impact in the there child's life forever? There you go. What do you mean by that? Yes. How would you like to, you know, be the person who facilitates that first phone call, that child getting into our office and they love, you know, their smile and they're healthier because of it. Right. As opposed to just, you know, serving coffee or mixing ice cream or, you know, cleaning tables. Yeah. And again, I don't want anybody to be like, oh, I can't dare he say that. Believe me, when I was in college. I was the busboy at Chi-Chi's and it was a great job.
1: There's a place uh, for everyone and there absolutely. are people that enjoy that. And that's where their, uh, their, right. their passions lie and that's fine. So one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, with regard to the core values, I've heard you talk about these core value shout outs that you do. Cause I, I think it's important, right? You want to make sure that your teammates have similar core values to you, that they're exemplifying and embodying those core values So can you tell people a little bit about how you recognize people in your practice when they're exemplifying that to a higher level? Sure. So here's going to be the
0: golden nugget here, okay? It's not just about me and my partners doing the core value shout outs. You have to create a culture where everybody within your organization is willing to call people out on what they've done to make either the organization or their job or their day better so we use an app called slack yep and um that's been a game changer for us okay and i'm not gonna work for the company i don't endorse Mm -hmm. them you know but we like many other companies who like you know i sent you a text did you get my email did you look up on the trello board the asana board like it was just we were all over the place and i'm one of those people if you if i pulled out my phone right now you'd probably see i think it's i'm up to nineteen thousand unopened emails And it was 30,000, but I deleted about 10,000 emails on my flight home from my son's (laughs) college graduation the other day. And um, I said, okay, no more of this. We're going to create Slack. And so Slack is a really souped up fancy way of bringing all your communication skills into one. Because of that, one of the channels that we created was core value shoutouts. And some of these channels are private. You know, you might only have the office managers, the assistants, the hygienists, the partners on a specific channel that nobody else sees. But some of them are for for the mass. Everybody, everybody. is yep. automatically logged into it. No matter where they can't even get out of it. And we make everybody have their notifications on in their phone. And we, we have it timed to where you're not going to get calls at 12 o'clock at night. But that core value shout out, whenever somebody does something great, we want them to be recognized. And if you're going to ask me to be the only one who's going to recognize you, you're going to be really disappointed because – It's just not my strongest point, but I recognize that. So I want everybody else to say, hey, listen, when Sally or Jane or Mike or David does something amazing, let them know. Sure. Sure. You know,
1: you give, it sounds easy, right? It sounds easy enough. It's, it's amazing that more organizations don't do it. Yeah. We have something here. We can't use Slack for compliance reasons. That's a whole nother story, but I would love to be able to use it, but we can't. So one of the things we do is at our level 10 meetings, you know, under EOS, we have a people headline and we use that not only for people headlines for families that we serve, but we also use it for shout outs for the team. Like we had a client event and Jarell and Rose basically ran the event last week and I gave them a shout out for the people headline and for thanking them for doing such a great job. So we use that as our tool and It's something that people really appreciate. You know, it's an intangible that really makes people feel good. And I I think it's such an easy thing to implement. And it's shocking that other organizations just don't do it.
0: Sure, I'll say one of the things we also did, which maybe people would like to do, we used to do something called care to share. So this is pre-COVID when we had organizational meetings at least once a quarter and we would get everybody into the same room. We spend a half a day going over things that they need to hear more in person than through digital media. Mm-hmm. Which I know for some people listening, they're like, "What? You actually right. have conversations face to face?" But yeah, and care to share was everybody in the organization was gifted twenty five dollars, but it wasn't for themselves. Mm-hmm. They had to give the twenty five dollars to somebody else in the room and tell them why. So that was our pre core value shout out channel. But once we had to go digital because you, know, you know, even today, it's like frowned upon having eighty people in a room. At least certainly it is in New York. Yep. that was wonderful. And it was our way of not only making sure people were recognized, but they were also getting like a bonus because of it.
1: Yeah. We had a guest on by the name of Mark Gagne and in his organization around the holiday times, or maybe Thanksgiving, he gives each of his employees a hundred dollars and they can't keep the hundred dollars for themselves. They have to give it to somebody or something, some organization, and then share with the rest of the team, what they did with the hundred dollars and the impact. And he's like, The stories that we get about organizations that we never even heard of, we didn't even know what they did, he said, is amazing. It just opens up this tremendous dialogue, which I also thought was a a great idea.
0: Oh, I love that concept. And to kind of like piggyback off of that, the two stories, we do a staff appreciation day every year in September, because the first week of of September, at least in New York, right, school is, is starting. So we close for the first week. But we spend that week doing staff enhancement and CPR training, et cetera. But we have a staff appreciation day. And a few years ago, what we did was, because as you know, our, you know, Smithton office is right up the road right. from the Smith Haven Mall. Everybody was given also the same $100 and a name, a name in the organization. So there were no doubles, everybody. But, but here's the thing. The person who you got did not know that you had them. Right, And they had three hours to get to the mall, which was five minutes away, spend the $100 on that person, and then come back. And gift them their presents uh, and tell them why they, they bought them what they did or what they did. And it was great. Like I went, I stood in the middle, you know, that mall is kind of like a a plus sign or an X, depending on how you tilt that. And I, we stood in the middle and we were watching all of our team members just run from store to store and get things. And they were trying to look and see, do you you have me? Do Mm -hmm. I have you? And it was kind of like half like staff appreciation, half secret Santa, half Harry Hanukkah. And you <laughs> kind of put it all together and they had a blast and um, we'll bring that back soon because it was really one of our more popular staff. Yeah, another process. awesome idea.
1: Yeah. You know, I wanted to talk to you also about your use of Colby in the practice. You know, you, you talk about using that. Can you tell us how you use Colby and are you using that for all team members? So we are not really Colby experts. I, I will
0: tell you that one of the things that has always intrigued me is personality traits of, of the people you work with and why certain team members don't blend or mesh. And so we did just for our leadership team, Colby scores and get an idea of why maybe we stall. And so we had found out, you know, of the six people on our leadership team, five of us have really, really high fact finders. And maybe that's why sometimes we're paralyzed by indecision, okay? So, So we kind of used it like that. I think there's great value in understanding Kind of the why you hire people, and again, it goes back. We talked before: core values, purpose. Again, all of that could still really be aligned, right? But then it's like, again, you know, how am I going to get there? And some people might be a slower, some people a little faster. Or the quick start versus the fact finder, and then you can actually kind of do that deep dive into what's really going on in that person's mind. What I find fascinating about Colby Scores is that. Although at times you can be in transition, if you kind of look at your Colby scores from when you were younger to when you're a little bit older, the scores really don't change that right. much. So, you know, it's kind of like when they say a tiger can't change his stripes. It's, it's kind of true. So I love it. I'm actually a really big fan of cognitive psychology. I was a psych major right. in, in school. I told you, you know, you're like the psych of the dental world when you're in pediatrics. I love cognitive psychology podcasts. The Happiness Lab is one of my all-time favorites. So I think if you're into that stuff, then you can start to recognize the value of Colby DISC, there's a whole bunch of them out there that yes. will help you with personality assessments. And so for somebody who's looking to maybe grow their organization, if you really sat down and identified like what you are and what you're missing, maybe you want to hire for what you're missing. Right. And for others who are maybe stuck and they they don't know why their team is is disorganized. I know there's that great book, uh, Disorganization of a Team. You start to kind of realize like, what are we doing wrong? And, you know, I guess once you finally come to the mindset of, you know, rocks are hard and water's wet. Right. And, and that's not going to change. Right. Right, but all right. Well, how do we how do we use the water to our advantage, or how do we if we have to move that rock from here to here? We just
1: know it's a rock,
0: you yeah. know? and so that's kind of how we've been using it so far.
1: Yeah. So, Dr. Mark, one of the things I find very interesting about you, you know, and in in coming in contact with a lot of people in the medical profession over my career, is you have a different mindset when it comes to your practice. You you really have this entrepreneurial tilt to it versus a doctor tilt to it, for lack of a better word, I guess. There aren't very many doctors that I've come in contact with that talk about EOS, the Entrepreneur's Operating System, that talk about Colby, that talk about coaching. What has been your driver to go that route versus just being a, a practitioner, let's say, and versus an entrepreneur?
0: Well, the reality, Larry, is it's not just doctors, it's people in general.
1: This is true. Right? I
0: think um, when you read the book Mm E-Myth and they talk about the different stages of your brain, one of them being the entrepreneur, I I think the statistics are maybe only 5% of the population have an entrepreneurial brain. They might move in and out of that world sometimes, but we just happen to be a customer service organization that does dentistry.
1: Right.
0: That's the way I look at it. Okay. So if that's your mindset, I mean, you can be like, we're just a customer service organization that happens to do financial planning, right? right. Uh, which I'm sure you guys do more than that, but I'm just using that as an example. Sure, It just changes, but you need to have somebody who thinks that way. I don't know why I think that way. For a while, you know, I used to think, is it a curse? Because the entrepreneurial brain is is a hard thing to figure out and why we're always thinking about certain things and when you try to meditate while your brain is always going somewhere else.
1: (laughs) I'm still working on that. Yeah, and I I have a great story for that, too, if you want to hear about
0: that. But I ended up reading the book Rocket Fuel. Yes. And Rocket Fuel, I think, really helps entrepreneurs out there going, no, 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 you're not messed up. There's just a certain part of your brain that acts differently, which makes that part of you special. And that's okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm, that's the way I think I've always operated. I, I just knew that I, I wanted something and I wanted it to be a certain way. And my brain still, I'm, I'm still thinking about, you know, when I'm finally done with clinical dentistry, what's next? Right. I'm, I'm not going to be satisfied at 55 years old, you know, hanging up the handpiece and going, I'm going to lay out on a beach somewhere. No, no, no. Like I'm already thinking about what's what's next, you know, how can I create an airway center that could be scaled up, you know, mm-hmm. how can I keep, create a, you know, a coaching world where I can help young entrepreneurs, you know, make their magic happen. I'm never going to be satisfied. I think that's good. I think that's why there's no surprise, right? When you hear about somebody who's like, oh, my grandma's 95 years old and still doing the the New York Times crossword puzzle because they're they're flexing that part of their body. That brain is a muscle that must be used Mm -hmm. all the time. And if you have the entrepreneurial brain, you're flexing that brain on steroids.
1: Right. Yeah, we talk about that all the time. You know, obviously as as a wealth management firm, we talk to people about retirement all the time, right? That's something on everybody's mind. And the media will lead you to believe that people are retiring later in life because it's a monetary issue. And I will tell you this, I argue the other side. I don't think people do a great job preparing themselves mentally for retirement. You know, they're going to have 40 plus hours of their life week in and week out if they were to fully retire that they have to fill. Fill with meaningful stuff, not sitting in front of the TV eating chips all day. And that's a very difficult thing for a lot of people to do, whether they have that entrepreneurial brain or not. And we talk with a lot of clients about getting prepared for that component of it. And if you're an entrepreneur, it's even that much more difficult to ever think in that direction. You know, Instead, you're always thinking about, okay, if I'm going to end or cease this venture, What's next? Right. Correct. Yeah. And you're always thinking like, listen, that. you know that. I mean, if it's like you're
0: going to say, oh, I'm moving to Florida, I'm going to play golf every day. If you're an entrepreneurial brain, I can guarantee you, as you, let's say, for argument's sake, you shoot 100, mm-hmm. you've gotten your score down to, 90 right? right right but now it's like 90 90 90, 90. i'm going up right move up to the white tees okay Ninety. eventually you know what an entrepreneurial brain starts thinking hmm how can i monetize something that's going on in the club you know can i create a better golf club that yeah. i can do you know i can putt better with you know maybe i could create a, a vacation area where i can start renting people out to play more golf like your mind always just starts you know revolving around i i gotta do something with what i'm doing right now or else i'm just right? you either grow or you're How can I dying.
1: improve, develop, or change that, what right. I'm doing right that's now? That's exactly right. And, and that's the and way I it it into it a
0: business. And other people will be like, who aren't? don't have that mindset. Like you're, you're crazy. Just sit back <laughs> and finally relax the fruit. Just enjoy the fruits of your labor.
1: This is enjoyment though. Right. Well,
0: you know what? Fruit grows every season, right? It comes back. <laughs> right. And sometimes it comes back more robust. But if you have a fruit tree and, and the fruit's dying off, you'd be like, wow, that's something's wrong. I need to figure this
1: out. You know, I'm always yeah. like,
0: let's fix it. Let's tinker. It. Let's make it better. And that's, that's what people think.
1: So, how do you think, and what do you attribute to your ability to grow the practice so quickly and scaling it in such a competitive environment? Because as you said, you want to be, and I don't want to miss quote what you said, but you want to be the premier dentistry pediatric dentist on Long Island. Was that what it was? Correct. So Long Island is a very saturated competitive market. I've heard you say that yourself. So what do you attribute your ability to grow as quickly as you have and move towards that audacious goal?
0: You know, I think you just have to really, again, what I said to you before is there were a customer service organization that just happens to do pediatric dentistry and orthodontics. You start with that, okay? And I didn't recognize that statement early on, but I knew that people want to feel valued, okay? And if you're in a service industry, you have to be willing to serve serve. I mean, it's a really big component. You have to want to serve and make a difference in the operation that we are putting together. Okay. And so that's just what's happened. And I really honestly believe in my heart that there are families all over our area that recognize that when they come to see us, it's a different experience. And I've had these conversations, my friends who are physicians who, you know, and this is even before hospitals were buying everybody up, and I would say to my buddy who is, um, he's a big time ophthalmologist down in the Maryland area. And I said to him, what do you do in your practice that makes it special? And he says, ah, it really doesn't matter because people just like, oh, do you take Oxford? Yeah. Okay. So I'll go there. And I'd be like, well, okay. So there's a guy two blocks down from me that takes Oxford as well. Why you versus them? He's like, I don't know. I mean, it just is what it is. And I like, I... I don't, if you really want to grow and you want to have two or three ophthalmology practices in this example, it's like, well, what's going to make you different? Right. And even if it means something so simple as, you know, having a coffee or espresso bar in your waiting room and do it. Right. To me, when I first opened my practice, again, something so simple that people, I think, recognize now. And again, let's put the COVID situation aside. But when I first entered healthcare, it was your classic, you walk in, there was a desk with a glass wall in front of you. And the person who was sitting on the other side of that glass wall was either on the phone, typing, maybe doing their nails, whatever it was, and you could be standing in front of that glass wall, waiting for the Messiah to come, <laughs> open it up, them look at you in the eyes and say, can I help you? Right. right. When you think about that mindset and then go, remove the barriers. And I mean, not just the glass wall barrier, remove the barriers. They walk in, it's open, it's airy, it's colorful. It's not just white walls. Okay. You walk in, the person behind the counter looks up with you with excitement. Hello, Mrs. Jones. How are you today? Oh, you're here with Joey. Excellent. Good. You know, um, we're so happy to have you here today. Is there any changes in your insurance you need us to know about? No. Wonderful. All right. So listen, have a seat. Be comfortable. You know, we got the TVs on. We got your kids can go play video games. You know, back then you would have magazines. There's coffee on the side. Can I get you some water? Like these sort of things, they are not expected. Right. Right. And I've heard people say, well, how can somebody complain? They, they wait in their physician's office for an hour. I'm like, that's the bar you're setting. Right. No, 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 no. Like, so, so we just grew because I want to be a patient in my practice. And if that's how I envision it, then that's how I want the public to envision it. See what you don't like, you, you and your kids have been in the practice for a really long time. Sure. Here's the things you don't see behind the scenes. When I hire new dental assistants, we both sit at the patient's head, right? You and your wife would sit at right. the patient's feet. We have chairs in the room for you guys to see what we're doing, but here's what you don't see. When my assistants are first hired, I make them sit in the parent chair in between patients. And I said, here's their perspective. What do you see differently from this side of the chair than when you were sitting over here? Can you see that cotton roll that we couldn't see where we were? Can you see dirt under the chair? Because if if you're a parent and you're sitting there and you're going, oh, there's a bloody cotton roll under there. It's not that we didn't clean the chair. We did. We just didn't see that. Right. It's not in our vision. Right. And they're going to go, huh? If they treat that, I wonder if they clean their instruments or do they wash their hands between patients. Mm -hmm. And so the little things really make a difference. And that's really how we've grown. It it hasn't, I can't say it's been purposeful, like we're going to do this, this, this. But I think if you just say, I want to be a client or a patient in that business, and how would I make my own experience better? If you have that mindset in the business that you're in, you really should flourish. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. And uh, thank you for sharing that. So it's been a pleasure having you here. And we end every show, it is the Midland Money Mindset, by asking each of our guests the same question, which is, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? Huh. What did I do
0: today? I can't tell you there was anything really special about this morning that made me feel different because I really think this way all the time. But listen, I woke up early, I took a shower, I made myself yeah. breakfast, it wasn't just going to be cereal, I had bacon and <laughs> eggs, <laughs> and a cup of coffee, I sat down, I watched the Yankee highlights, I was happy to see Toronto lose in overtime, because I don't want to see John Tavares ever win a Stanley Cup, <laughs> which going to upset the people in Toronto. But, um, and Larry, I know tonight you're anticipating yes, your, your Rangers I'm with, uh, yeah, but you know what, what I do today, my daughter's getting her wisdom teeth out. Okay. I gave her a big hug. I kissed her on the head. I said, I love you. I'll see you later. Right? Okay. And I think those little things maybe make a big difference. It's not that people just take those for granted and the time is precious and, you know, enjoy every moment agreed.
1: of it. Agreed, agreed. Now, Dr. Mark, if people, we're going to have all your information in the show notes, but if people want to find you, learn more about you, connect with you, what's the easiest and best place for them to do that?
0: You know, I'm on LinkedIn. I mean, you can certainly find my profile there and it's nothing crazy. You know, Mark Edelberg, uh, DDS, uh, we have a website, com, which you can, you know, see what we do and how our practices are designed, et cetera. That's the easiest way to reach me. And then I'll get back to you. I mean, I have, you know, pages on Twitter and Facebook and all sorts of stuff. But, you know, a lot of that stuff is, is frivolous and it's silly. And, right. and honestly, like I do try to keep my personal life and my business life a little bit separate. So if somebody's like, I'm just going to Facebook request you as a friend, <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. If I don't know who you are, right. I, I probably won't accept you. But on LinkedIn, I definitely would. Because awesome. to me, that's a different forum and it's a different sure. platform. And, you know, and if somebody's looking for, you know, coaching or mindset, I mean, that's really where I'm heading after I'm done with clinical dentistry. And so I still don't know the exact role I'll play in my own organization when I finally hang up the handpiece. And I hope that I'll stay on and whether it's be on the board or be on, you know, their C-suite. But coaching is going to be my passion. And that's what I'm training to do right now. And I've had a coach for well over 20 years. And, and whether it's me or it's you, Larry, or anybody else in this world who's looking for help, I mean, you should have a coach. Yeah, I agree. It's the... Greatest investment I ever made in my own
1: business, because it's somebody who's going to help guide you along the path to where you need to be. Yeah. I mean, we talk about it all the time on the show. You know, everybody has a coach, right? We send our kids to coaches for sports. We get coaches for other things. There's no reason why we shouldn't have coaches to help us with our business, because there's, as an entrepreneur, there's always something to improve, develop, or change and learn. Right. You know, always. Amen. So thank you for being on the show. I appreciate you sharing me. these great insights and uh, make it a great day. Perfect. Thank you. I want to thank Dr. Mark Edelberg for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Dr. Mark and the growth of his practice are really what EOS is all about. It seems to have given him an edge in a very competitive market and environment. Dr. Mark is a true entrepreneur that happens to be a dentist. His commitment to core values and experience are a true differentiator for his team and patients. Dr. Mark and Edelberg-Montalvon Pediatric Dental can be found across all social media platforms, and all the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content, and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money.